Welcome to Meltdown to Mastery, empowering women to overcome midlife crisis by rewiring the subconscious mind. Feeling overwhelmed, disillusioned, stuck? We all have. Here we explore inspiration and empowerment to navigate through the tough times and move to a place where hearts soar, minds manifest, and bodies heal. Welcome to Empowered, Mind Body Inspiration. The mind is the map to wholeness, wellness, health. The heart is the key to genius and inspiration. Join me and my guests as we explore how to release and rewire into who you truly are, unique, whole, and empowered. Please like, share, and subscribe. Spiral up, spiral out. Welcome, Spiral Uppers. Today we have Michael Harris, co-founder of Endless Stages, author of Falling Down and Getting Up. He teaches others to dive deep within, and his favorite saying is, one more open heart in the world is one more open heart in the world. I love that. Welcome, Michael. Thanks, Jane. It's uh, really wonderful to be here. I've listened to some of your other shows as well, and uh, you have just some remarkable guests, and I'm honored to be here today with you in our conversation. I am honored to have you. And you have such beautiful, there's such beautiful wisdom in some of the things that we're going to discuss. So I, I just wanted to throw them out so our audience knows. And the first one is that you had some health issues, addictions, low self-esteem, and then one day decided you had enough and you changed things with the law of Yogoya. I had, I've never heard of that and I love that. And then we're going to talk about how does the law of, of attraction get activated by the law of Goya. And I love this, that your mess is your message. How wonderful is that? And why is everyone's story so important? We each have something beautiful to share. And I just love that we're going to talk about that. And finally, how does nature teach us to take quantum leaps? How beautiful. <laughs> so Where do you want to start? <laughs> so much to unpack. Let's start with your story because so many of us have a story. It's human. It's very human to have a story that starts with struggle and then how you use the law of Goya to change that. The first 30 years of my life were uh, an opportunity to learn more than what I thought that I needed to learn. How's that one? By 12 years old, I was a pretty active kid growing up. I was junior champion in the early 70s at Portland Golf Club. I was a hotshot golfer. And I was also a hotshot water skier. So this particular year, it was actually way back in 1971, i won the club championship, and then we headed down to the Oregon coast to an area down there in a lake to do some water skiing, and I love to do beach landings. 
And I was coming into the beach pretty hot and fast and hit the beach, went head over heels. Initially, they drove me to the hospital, but initially they said I was just bruised up. That night, I was throwing up blood and not feeling very well. So the next morning, my mom drove us back to Portland, which is about an hour and a half drive from where we were. And the next thing I know, it's about 10 days later, and I'm waking up from a coma. And I've had my liver was ruptured. I had 60% of my liver removed, gallbladder, 21 blood transfusions, broken ribs, collapsed lung, and again, a coma for 10 days. Wow. So that was my introduction to 12 years old. And um, when I, was in the coma I left my body I had a near-death experience and I was with a group of spirits in a garden area which I later felt was actually in the hospital grounds that I did not know were there but a garden area in the hospital and as I was coming back to my body I did not want to come back to my body this is right before waking up from the coma I did not want to come to the body and I I reached out and I said, I don't want to go. And they said, you're not through yet. You have to go back. They said, everything's going to be okay. I came back. And here I am, how many years later? 71, so that's 29. So that's 51 years later, Jane. I'm still here and alive. And apparently I'm not through yet. (laughs) And doing beautiful things. Yes. That would be a very life-changing experience. I've interviewed a couple people that have had near-death experiences like that. And you really can't deny that there's more to us than flesh and blood after that. Yeah. I always felt like there was some type of God. And I grew up fairly traditional, uh, religious family in a Presbyterian church. And I was felt that there was a God. I don't know if I totally connected with it. And after my accident, I became quite resentful towards God because I didn't want to be here. Some people have near-death experiences come back and everything is just super great and they're immediately on a mission. My mission did not involve that at all. My mission involved low self-esteem, feeling like I wasn't good enough, feeling like the girls weren't going to like me. I had scars all over my body. And I really lacked any confidence. So I went from this very active kid to just hitting the beach, smacking the beach and having this accident. And that's when I really started By 14 years old, I was drinking and smoking, and I felt like through the drinking that I was much bigger than, you know, it it gave me that confidence. It gave me the confidence around the girls. It gave me confidence around my life. But I went on a real wild streak. And I'm, I'm working to make a longer story shorter here, Jane. By 27 years old, I got in trouble a number of times from drinking and using, and it 
was becoming quite problematic. But by 1986, I ended up in the hospital at OHSU, Oregon Health Sciences University, in the vascular department, which I'd never really thought of much before that. But I came into the vascular department, and my right leg was 100% blocked, and my left leg was 65% blocked. All my blood panels were normal. My cholesterol was 140. But for some reason, I had authorized plaque within my legs, which we could have a whole conversation just about that and the spiritual aspects of that. The doctor, as they were doing the examination, looked at me and said, we're probably going to have to amputate your legs and you need to come in the hospital immediately and do these surgeries, what's called a FEMPOP, which is essentially bypass surgery on the legs. Wow. Yeah. And so they ended up doing those surgeries and it restored some blood flow. But within a month, I had blood clots. And within eight months, my legs had reblocked again. And once again, they told me I needed more surgery. They surrounded the hospital bed, all the surgeons at OHSU and said, you need to do this. And at that time, I didn't know much about anything as far as spiritual consciousness or awareness or connecting with the universe, however somebody wants to describe it. Um, but I ended up going AMA, which is I checked out of the hospital against medical advice, much to the chagrin of the surgeons. And that again, that was actually 1987. And I've only been back to see them once about a year after that. And I did not know what was going to happen to me. I did not know where I was going to go. I did not know what I was going to do, but I knew I wasn't going to have more surgeries, even though they told me I would be dead within six months. I just didn't want to do it. I had something inside of me told me not to. Yeah. But pretty, and, pretty dire. <laughs> yeah. Pretty dire. I'd already had this accident as a kid. I had been drinking and using a lot. I had this problem now with my legs. My dad had died a year earlier. I was resentful towards God and angry and didn't like life very much. And at the same time, I wanted to live. I never was. I know people that have been in similar type situations, feeling suicidal and such. And I never felt suicidal. I was more like, hey, let's have a good time. I want to live. Right. Uh, but at so, the same time, a little bit saying to God, this is a rough place. So I'm going to have as much fun as I can. <laughs> so sad. I, I was using other terminology besides a rough place. <laughs> like, you know, know. Life is kind of effing right now. Effed. Yeah. 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 And that's what I told the doctor. And I said, no effing way are you going to take my legs? Yeah. And like, I'm that. not staying here without legs. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. Again, 35 years later, I'm still alive with legs climbing mountains. Yeah. So something must have flipped at that time yeah. inside of you. Yeah. I ended up at a place called the Pritikin Longevity Center, which at the time was down in Santa Monica. A guy named Nathan Pritikin started it many years ago, many decades ago. 
And it was really based on movement and food and what they called more vegan back then, but a plant-based diet based on some Indian tribes in Mexico. So I show up at this center and literally I'm on a cane. I'm walking about 10 feet, holding the wall with one hand and the cane with the other. That's about all that I can do. And I'd come from Portland, going down to Santa Monica. It's right on the boardwalk. And the doctors in Portland basically said, when it hurts, you need to stop walking. You need to come and see us. You need to have bypass surgery. You need to take all these other drugs. And the doctor down there, the, when he looked at me and talked to me, he said, the only thing that I want you to do is to eat as much of our plant-based food as you can and walk. I said, what? I said, it hurts. He says, yes, I know, but you'll be walking through the pain. So I went to the boardwalk there between it's about the Santa Monica Pier and Marina del Rey, and I started walking. And he says, walk 10 feet, stop. Walk 11 feet, stop. Walk 12 feet, stop. Just keep going and keep going. And here I am down on the beach of Santa Monica, a beautiful sunny day, not wanting to be the 97-pound weakling, wanting to stand up tall. And going up and down the boardwalk. Within two weeks, I was walking two miles. Essentially, and this is the first time, and I'll mention the other two in a minute. The doctor essentially said, just get up and walk. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just get up and start moving your body and walking. And again, I went back to HSU once after that, and they were flabbergasted. They said, how are you still alive? I said, I've been walking along the, the pier, Santa Monica. And the other thing that happened is where I took my first yoga class was 1987 there at the Pritikin Center. And so I started doing yoga. Beautiful. Yeah. yeah. Go, ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I'm just wondering where Goya came in. Oh, Goya. Do you want me to let it out now, or do you want me to wait? <laughs> I think let it out. Let okay. it out. I will let it out. My late brother, Bill, when Rhonda Byrne went to write the book, The Secret, went to my brother and said, I need help writing this book. Okay, so my brother is one. My late brother, Bill, is one of the co-authors of the book, The Secret. And so when The Secret came out, it's all about the law of attraction and all of that. And a lot of people throw rocks at the book, so to speak, because they think that it leaves out some various aspects that are important to really understanding and initiating how the law of attraction works. There's different reasons people throw rocks at it, which is great because it's made it so popular. But John Asraf came up with the term called the law of Goya. And whether he initiated that or, I mean, it was really a law that happened prior to John, but the law of Goya is really simple. It's called get off your ass, G-O-Y-A. So to make the law of attraction work, 
Yeah. You actually have to get off your ass to make it work. To take action. Yeah. It's, my car is in my garage right now, and it's just sitting there. But it doesn't move unless I go down and start it and put it in drive and start moving it. So it's useless without that law of action. Yeah, I taught a course called Jump to Kids. Uh And you teach how to visualize and imagine what you want. But unless you take action, nothing's going to happen. Nothing. Yeah. And the universe hears you when you first start taking action and makes sense of the steps that should come. Yeah. And this is something that, that I've learned and I've discovered this, or it's been revealed to me in a, a number of different ways. One of the analogies I like to use is I can sit here right now, Dane, and picture a tofu veggie rice. Got some tofu on it, got some broccoli, some green beans, some carrots, maybe some mushrooms I picked in the woods, and some rice, and my favorite yum sauce, and all that. And I can actually taste this in my mouth. Well, if I'm going to attract that and want that for dinner, I have to go to the store and get the rice and get the tofu and the veggies and all that, go through the check stand and exchange karma, my money, to get those items and to bring them back home and then put it together and have it land on my dinner table. That is the law of attraction in every day. I We create this thought in our mind, what are we going to attract? The universe is providing it by putting these items in a store. It's given me the opportunity to get there with the law of attraction through my car. It's given me the karmic exchange, the action through the karma to be able to receive that. And then again, I've received it. It's on my kitchen table. So again, there's multitude of examples of how we are applying these principles in our life all the time, yet we normally don't recognize that. You could say the same thing about filling up your car with gas or getting a shirt or it's the law of attraction, the law of action working. What are we attracting? What is the action? What are we creating in our life? And it could be something that is more problematic, I will say. You could use the law of attraction and go out and get drunk and get in a bar fight, for instance. That's the law of attraction, the law of action in place. So it doesn't matter. The universe doesn't care what it is as such, but it's what we create. It's what we visualize. It's what we attract based on who we are. So it it is important to have the right intent yes. and the right thoughts. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, love that. So... That is a brilliant way of explaining it. Really brings it to everyday life, doesn't it? I like to call it everyday law of attraction. Yeah. Because some sometimes there's, um, my experience is sometimes like the idea of law of attraction gets overcomplicated and people's eyes gloss over when they think about some of the more in-depth aspects of it. but 
whenever I brought it back to the simple everyday experience, then it's more easily understood. And it's the way that I understood it. My brother or some of the people in the secret would have these in-depth explanation, which is really great. And I want to know what it takes to go get a, a, a car full of gas. How does that work? Some of the everyday. Yeah. Yeah. Or what, what you need to do to feed your horses. How are you going to get the hay? How are you going to track it? Where are you going to get it? Is it going to be dropped off? Do you need to go pick it up? How much money is it going to cost? Where are you going to put it? How are you going to store it? How are you going to feed it? Yeah. I know. Like when we first moved to Montana, we had six horses and they had the worst year for hay in record ever. Like it was very dry, very hot. There was no hay in Montana. But I believed we would manage to get enough hay to get through the winter. And it was, it came in different ways, but we had enough hay to get through the winter, (laughs) but I had to, we had to go get it and we had to look for it, but it was there. Yeah. Yeah. But it came about through your action of discovering where it was. Yeah. And the belief, the belief that everything would be okay. So did you use some of this get off your ass in order to (laughs) move forward? Yeah. One of the things, you know, as I was talking about starting to walk up and down the boardwalk, I had really started at that point my journey to sobriety in, in early 87, but December 88, I went out one more time and I won't get into all the gory details of it, but I went out and drank and I ended up in the hospital the next day for a week, alcohol poisoning. And a friend of mine that I knew that was in recovery came to me at the hospital and he said, are you ready yet? And I knew exactly what he meant. And I said, I'm ready. Now, here I am. December 1988, I had nothing. I'm laying in the hospital. I've been angry at God for years and resentful towards God for years. Yet the only place that I had left to turn at that time, I'm 30 years old, shortly after my 30th birthday, the only place that I had to turn was back to this character called God. Universe, higher power, whatever somebody wants to call it, it doesn't matter. Um, and I literally had this swooshing feeling, Jane, and I still feel that just, it's like closing your eyes and salivating some food. It's like closing my eyes and I'm salivating in my mind, that swooshing feeling that I felt in my body. And I knew everything was going to change. I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't know at that time that 34 years later, I'm going to be sitting here on a podcast talking to you about that experience. I didn't know. Who knew? Wait. I Describe I, this swishy feeling more. Like, I have experienced it from time to time, when, especially at times when things feel very dire. But when you've said to the universe, I'm here to help. I really want to contribute. or and I'll get that swishy feeling that you're talking about. I think we're talking about something similar. It's 
and I hear you say this, and I've heard you, you know, describe this idea of release and rewire. And it's, it's really a release. It's, I don't know how to do it's Wind doesn't really blow. Wind is really a sucking action from difference in atmospheric pressure. But we experience it as a blowing sensation, right? And it's almost like the same thing within the body. There's the reflection of nature, but in the reflection in my experience in my body was this like, so it was almost like something was being pulled out. Something else was coming in. So that release and that rewire. And we can get into Bruce Lipton and all the rewiring of the brain and, um, you know, Martini and everybody else. But it's, it's just that release and rewire. I don't know how else to describe it, Jane. Do you have a better description or a different? Yeah, I actually love what you're saying, <laughs> right? Because you are releasing, you're giving in some way, right? Saying, yeah. okay, I'm here. I, I'll give in to my purpose, like releasing to the universe. And then allowing it is the rewire. And you feel it in your body. And you can't deny it. Like you can think back to those times and go, no, that was unique and it was special. And it gives you heart to continue just that feeling. Yeah. And you, Michael Singer in described his experience with it in the surrender experiment, his book, which is if people aren't familiar with him, and haven't read his book, I would highly recommend The Surrender Experiment because it really describes living life through that release idea and that rewire idea. He may not use that exact terminology, but it's the same thing. Hmm. Beautiful. So you felt this, and then what happened next? Well, that was 1988, and... I'm still sober, never had a drink. I was smoking cigarettes at the time, too, never had another cigarette. It was just like the problem was removed. And it was removed through that releasing. It's just like I no longer had to control the problem, which I was trying to manage and control the problem surrounding drinking and using and smoking and, you know, managing how much I was going to have as something or not have as something and all that. So just letting go of that whole thing and stopping the management of what was going on rather than really accepting the guidance that I was being given. You know, through that process and over years and now decades, I've, had a deepening recognition of what happened to me as a kid and in my near-death experience and just savoring in this experience and this idea that not only is everything going to be okay, 
everything is okay. Yeah. And knowing that no matter how um how much energy is bouncing around in the world right now, we got this planet called Earth with about a 30 mile atmosphere, goes up 30 miles, and within that atmosphere, there's a lot of swirling energy happening right now. Yet that swirling energy is also bringing recognition by many people. This is my observation. All of everybody that I know is experiencing something and some new insight, some new inspiration, some new thought that's opening them up to something new. And I know I'm feeling that. And I suspect even your horses are feeling that because I think the <laughs> animals are feeling it too. Yeah. And that no matter how wild and crazy it's happening out there, everything's still okay. Yeah. And this is why when you say your mess is your message, <laughs> people are real. Like what you, I think what you're saying is that they're opening to the realization that they do have a message and even something new coming forward now. It just, yeah. Yeah, go into that because it's so beautiful. Well, I, I didn't come up with that terminology. Jack Canfield came up with that, your message, your message. And I connected him when I released my first book, and he was part of my book launch. But there's this idea, too, that for us to be messengers or storytellers, that Going through an experience is important to be able to tell the outcome of the experience and provide insight and hope for other people in their experience. So like in my experience, I had two real near fatal health issues, my water skiing accident, my peripheral vascular disease, and in between there, alcoholism and addiction. So unless I went through that, I'm not going to be as an effective hope generator for other people. I can say, yeah, I've been there. This was my experience. And there is a way out. If you want to find a way out, here's some possible hope for you. And if I had not been through those experiences, I would not be able to talk about those experiences. Some somebody may have an experience of breaking their back. Uh, Doctor Joe, he broke his back in on a bike accident, and now he's out there in the world talking. And he helped heal himself with his mind within about sixteen weeks. But he's not able to share that experience of hope with other people unless he had already been through that experience. So I think these things that. I used to not want people to know about or my history of drinking or any of that kind of stuff. I wanted to hide it. I wanted to manage it. I didn't want people to know. But now I know it's part of a way that I can be most helpful and be the best messenger I can. Yeah. It's really... Most of us 
go through periods where we want to hide our deepest, darkest stuff. And as a doctor, I've seen it so many times, but when you shine light on it and you come through to the other end, there is such beauty in what you've gone through. And without going through it, you're right. You don't have this beautiful message for others that is, could help someone else. And yeah. Yeah. And you know, Another really great reflection that nature, I believe, offers us is that seeds are not planted in the light. Seeds are planted in the dark. They're planted in the ground in the dark. And that's where they burst open. And then they find their way to the light. Yeah. Again, there's so many examples, I believe, that nature is showing us if we are open to them like somebody that's in a in a broken relationship and their heart is hurting is really the heart busting open for something new mm-hmm. but it's hard sometimes to feel that or accept that but for me that's what has been true for me and it happened in some of my darkest moments in relationship the heart is hurting, it's busting open. Yeah. And they call it the dark night of the soul. Yeah. But yeah, it is the only way often to get to the light. Yeah. Yeah. Said, you know, in you oftentimes take a pine tree. I I live in a, in an area where there's pine trees everywhere. And they're dropping their pine cones. Some of those, just a few of them, end up growing into a pine tree. Not all of them, but just some of the seeds make it into the dark to find their light. Grow up. And that's a struggle in itself. And it's magical. Yeah. It's just simply magical. And so is that what you mean when you say nature teaches us to take quantum leaps? Yes. And one of the recognitions that I had of that was, especially living where I live and where you live too, you have these experiences too, but I was up a dozen, 15 years ago or so up in a lake in the mountains where I live and the water, a lot of the water had gone out in the fall. And I was out there in the middle in the mud thinking, okay, at any moment, right where I am, and I was in the midst of several volcanoes, South Sister and Broken Top and Mount Bachelor, these various mountains up there. And at any moment, any one of those mountains could go off and blow instantaneously. It's a quantum leap, right? from one state to the other. Essentially, quantum leap is a change in the cell from one state to another. The other thing that could happen as I'm standing there is all of a sudden, within an hour, there could be eight inches of snow on the ground, just instantaneous. I've been in places where I've it's been 35 degrees, and within a minute, it's five degrees because something has moved in. There's been a change of state, the low pressure, high pressure, low pressure, all these different events are happening constantly. 
the great northern white owl in Africa, also known as the transformer owl. You can sit there and look at it on a branch and all of a sudden it can shrink up and look like the branch or it can make itself look really big. A chameleon can change its colors. An octopus can change its colors. All sorts of examples in nature of how things can change instantly. If everything that we are is everything that we are, what are our capabilities to be able to recognize that we can change in a moment as well. If somebody asks somebody to get married, it doesn't matter whether it's man, woman, man, woman, woman, it's all the same. Some guy, for an example, standing there on the knee asking the, the woman to marry him, each one of those people has an instantaneous emotional charge within their body. It's instant, right? Yeah, it's a quantum leap. It's a change of state from one state to another. So how can we use that in our mind when we need to make a change in our health, in our life, in our emotions, in our finances? You know, do we have that ability to be able to instantly make that change? And I believe that we do. And that's also the release and rewire, isn't it? Absolutely. Because the instant you decide, like you did, when you decided, no, no more, and then release that, you rewired into something else instantly. Instantly. Yeah. And that's the power of, that we have forgotten that we have, isn't it? Like we're, it's a, it's hidden in a way in plain sight. <laughs> It's in everything we do. Yeah. And I won't go too far into this today's call, but I mentioned back when I was at Pritikin Center, I had my first yoga class. And over this 35 years, I've gone through three teacher trainings. I've owned several studios. I've opened studios all around the world for other people. I've trained 7,000 yoga teachers. I practice nearly daily. I still teach. I don't own a studio today, but I teach about 10 times a month right now, which is perfect in addition to everything else that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. Yoga, there's so many examples of that. May I give you one short example about breathing? Yes, I would love that. So, breathing. You know, it seems there is there's multiple different types of breathing exercises and like within yoga there's a number of different ways to breathe depending upon the structure of yoga what you're doing and how you're doing it and all of this but i would venture to say that the majority of people listening and i know it's true for myself where i learned how to breathe was from mom when i was a little kid and this is where I believe we already have everything that we need. It's just learning how to use it. I remember running to the back door one day, six years old, running to the back door. My mom opens up the back door and says, what's wrong? I said, Todd's chasing me. He hit me again. You know, the neighborhood bullet, right? And what did mom do? She said, Michael, just take a deep breath. 
in and out. And that one breath started calming me down and changing everything. So again, I believe we already have everything we need to know. Now, I've been through all the yoga, all the breathing, understanding, all that. But that's where I really learned how to breathe was from mom. Yeah. And seeing the difference instantly. One breath. Yeah. One breath. Yeah. So did everything look different after that one breath? Were we just calmer? Just Oh, yeah. We cannot help but be calmer. It's that release and the rewire. And then the thoughts, the new thoughts through that new wire come in. Everything is okay. Because you're stuck in this whirlwind. Yeah. In this, in, in a state. And you can change your state with that one breath. Yeah. That one breath. Beautiful. I practice yoga, and I mentioned this earlier, and I want to mention this again. I want to put the other two together. The doctor in Pritikin Center, where he said, just get up and walk. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just start moving up and down the boardwalk, doing one step at a time. When I went, I've been to three teacher trainings. I went to a teacher training with Bikram. I was one of the early Bikram teachers as maybe teacher 100. And I got into an argument with him because I thought that he should be teaching me things differently. Right. And he would have none of that. And he said, Michael, don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just do the yoga. I didn't really get it at that moment, but about a week later, I got it. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just do the yoga. And that's been my single biggest yoga lesson. It's not about how well I'm going to do triangle or any other posture. It's don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just do the yoga. So that's number two. Number three is also in the 90s, I started studying somebody named Dr. John Sarno, which many of the listeners may have heard of him, he was head of clinical rehabilitation, NYU Medical Center, and wrote the his initial book about healing back pain. And he says the same thing. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. You're okay. Just live your life. Start moving. So there are three examples. The doctor, the Pritikin, Bikram and Dr. John Sarno, all saying the same thing. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just live your life. For me, it's too easy to worry about it and hold on to it and not live my life. No, it's a come back around. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just live your life. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just take a walk. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just climb a mountain. Don't worry about it. Forget about it. Just do your yoga. So it's like taking that action that you talked about in the beginning. And it's such a subtle place to go to, isn't it? That don't worry about it. Just Just do it. It's like 
this place of neutral or where you stop the whirlwind within and just head out, just do. <laughs> yeah. It's like the yin and the yang symbol. Yeah. Most people see it as two parts, but there's really three parts to the yin and yang symbol, right? There's the two, but there's the connecting point where they come together. Right. And that connection, that third point, is really that release and rewire part. That don't worry about it, forget about it. It brings it together. It's like even the terminology of like mind, body. And I don't like that terminology. It's the only terminology that we really have with our language right now, I think. I like to call it mind-body interplay, but it seems to differentiate that there's a mind and that there's a body. My experience is it's one and the same. And I wish we had a word for that one and the same mind-body thing rather than two different words. Yeah. I don't know what it would be. Mighty, my bow. I don't know. <laughs> I like mind-body interplay. I like that yeah. a lot. Yeah. And it's a little bit playful, too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which is helpful, too, in life, isn't it? It helps us. It, I know it certainly helps me. And it's... When I look at it that way, you know... Because I've gone through my body struggling, my mind struggling with my body and my heart and my lungs fighting each other, my liver, my kidneys fighting each other. Everybody wants more blood or more oxygen or more fluids. And it's just like, why don't I just, you know, why? this is like an interplay going on. What's happening? How can I stop worrying about it, forget about it, release my mind and just breathe normal and know it's okay? This is so interesting and a great segue to talking about how everyone has a story, right? Because just like every cell in our body, every organ screaming out for more and feeling, but when they all come in balance, you realize they each have a role to play. And when they each just play their role, like they're playing a beautiful instrument the best they can, it all works like an orchestra. I, is that your message with everyone has a message? <laughs> I believe in like you as a podcast host, bring all these remarkable guests on your show. Sifu Rubio, Bo Bissett, Jim Flemmer, or Fuller, which by the way, we're co-authors of a book on podcasting, Gemini. And you have all these different authors coming in, telling their story in a different way from them, from their experience. Bo talking about his knee stuff and substance abuse and David Hawkins, which is remarkable individual and Jim talking about the art of consciousness and barefoot backpacker and this experience and there are going to be people that experience the message through Jim that won't experience it through me and so on so some people are good going to experience something from each one of us in a different way 
which is remarkable. So our stories, I believe, in today's world are vital. Again, coming back to all the energy in our atmosphere is this opening that's happening. I believe the more that I share who I am, the more might help somebody else feel better about who they are and be more willing to share who they are. So it's like we're creating this rewire, so to speak, and reconnecting with each other. As we go all around the world with podcasting and Zoom and all these different things, and it's moving fast. You know, the yin and the yang, the dark and the light, everything that's happening. But stories have been the way that we've communicated truth since the beginning of man, since we could start talking. So I'm just really passionate about helping as many people as possible get their message and story out, not only for personal self-healing for themselves, but also to help all of us heal a little bit more. Yeah. It's so beautiful. It's Every time I see a horse run, it stops me and it opens the heart and it makes me smile and everyone's story. I think that's what I love most about what I do is I'm constantly inspired and it just, it's just gives me goosebumps every time I talk to someone like you and you're right. There are so many stories that are so beautiful Mine is not unique. Yeah. Mine is my experience, but everybody has their own. Yeah. So, <laughs> so incredible. I just wanted to, I want you to give us one final message. I just to leave us with, but you're author of Falling Down and Getting Up. And I think that's the message of this whole podcast. But just leave us with your final thoughts. The other thing that you mentioned early on, too, is this one more open heart in the world becomes one more open heart in the world. And many years ago, at my first studio, 20 plus years ago, I have a heart on it and a sun in the middle and wrote this one more open heart in the world equals one more open heart in the world. And I'm actually, people can't see it, but I have it here on my desk and I'm holding on to it right now as I'm, I'm talking about it. And that's really the message of, of falling down, getting up, is that we can fall and have these seemingly tragic theatrical, dramatic experiences, yet what's the other part of that? What is it teaching us? What is it allowing us to do? How is it allowing us and giving us an opportunity to open up to ourselves, to the universe, and to each other? So my message, again, with falling down, getting up, is really no matter what, virtually no matter what has happened, we can get back up again. We can get back up and tell our stories to ourselves and to others and get clear about our stories. Because sometimes our stories initially, I have found some of the things that I thought were in my story 
weren't even true. Once I went back and checked it and talked to other people, they said, well, that's not what happened. This is what happened. But they had a different reflection of it, right? Yeah. yeah. So again, my passion now is just helping people get their stories out, feel better about themselves and can heal. And the rest will take care of itself. There's some things I can do something about, and there's some things I can't. Yeah, it comes to the don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, but everything is okay. Yeah. And so how do people find you if they'd like to learn more from you or be inspired by you? The best way is just to go to my website, which is Michael B is a book, Harris.com. So Michael B Harris.com. And I have a backlink there, which it's not a public link, but it's a backlink. And it's if somebody wants to download a free copy of my book, it is Michael B is in boy Harris.com forward slash book. So Michael B Harris.com forward slash book. Um and I have to tell you something, Jane. I have not looked at my royalty reports for two years. I don't even know how to get to them anymore. Because <laughs> I don't care. That's why I'm giving matter. the book away now. People are still buying the book in bookstores, but I don't care. Yeah. You just want to get it out. I just want to get it out. And if yeah. it can be helpful to somebody, great. If not, pass it to somebody else. Right. So we should put it in the show notes. There you go. Let's do that. Thank you so much, Michael. I really enjoyed this. Thank you, Jane. It's great to have a conversation with you. And I love your show. And I invite the listeners to pick two or three or four different shows and just go in and listen to them and close your eyes and see what you might experience. Because there's some really magnificent voices and messages that you have coming out on your show. Thank you. And remember... Don't give away your power to anyone else. Be the creator of your own life. You can find more inspiring episodes on 14 different platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and EmpoweredHealth.com. Be a part of Thrive Tribes. Be the change in Thrivolution at ThriveTribeHub.com. And join me and my fellow changemakers at Health Tribe, Body, Mind, and Soul on Facebook. Spiral up. Spiral out.